0: Hey, welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing podcast. You've got Bob St. Pierre here and my my trusty sidekick. How's that?
1: At least for three episodes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Anthony Hauk is the, uh, the other voice you hear on the end of the line. And Anthony is right now at this very moment sitting underneath one of the most massive moose um, shoulder mounts that I have ever seen.
1: To be well, you know, I've gotten into. I mean, this is a little little tangent away from birds and dogs and conservation, but I have gotten into traditional archery a bit. I'm I'm confident I could hit a moose. <laughs> I'm, I'm fairly confident. You know, you see, you just if that's the head, if that's the head, that's like the size of a, a deer. But anyways, yeah, we've got
0: uh, we've got an elk, moose, uh, caribou. We've got a uh, coyote with a rooster. We've got a Rooster and a duck, we won't say what that's trying to imitate, a big old wild turkey. We are at Wild Wings of Oneka, which is a um, game farm and hunt club and um, a sporting clays course just outside the Twin Cities metro area where we have gathered today or will shortly gather the second annual Clays for Conservation fundraiser. We've got 80 people coming to this event to um, you know there's only there's only one person that wins based on their score. Um, this is we got a whole pile of uh, prizes, but it's all based around having a good time and raising a little money for the bird club and uh, we're going to do that a little bit later today on on a couple sporting clays courses and we've got a whole bunch of our um, our, our members coming in some chapter leaders from around Minnesota as well as some of our national partners from around the country. And, and winning the award for the longest distance traveled for today's Sporting Clays shoot is Mr. Carl Gunzer, all the way from uh, Texas, um, joining us today. Carl, thank you very much for, for making the trip. Carl is our, our primary point of contact with Pro Plan, and I'm going to ask the hardest question first. Your title doesn't even fit on a business card. What is your title?
2: Uh, senior manager of the sporting group.
0: Oh, I, see, <laughs> I thought it was – where Bob other West stuff. had that yeah, job, but, yeah. there was like 13 different titles that were associated with it.
2: Yeah. He's got a better memory than I do. <laughs> he can remember them all. Well, so, thank
0: you very much for coming all
2: this yeah, way. Well, it's, it's not hard to drag a person out of Texas in August. Yeah.
0: <laughs> How hot so, is it in Texas right now?
2: We've had, I think, 35 days over 100 Wow. this year which is uh about three times what it's supposed to be so it's been it's been ugly
1: well but the other thing is if you don't shoot well today you can use jet lag as an excuse there you go a legitimate you go. excuse but i think you'll shoot pretty well yeah
0: but let's uh well i i guess tell us um first of all you know w- where you grew up how dogs entered your life give us a little bit of background on the carl gunzer story sure sure well it's It's long,
2: but I'll make it as short as possible. But uh, I grew up in uh, Annapolis and Central, in Maryland, you know, different areas around Annapolis, but uh, had, had retrievers my whole life growing up as a kid, you know, we had retrievers and um, that was really my passion. Even uh, 12, when I started hunting, you know, I'd go with my dad before I could shoot, you know, but um, probably around 12 or 13, I'd started dove hunting, duck hunting uh, on the Chesapeake Bay there. We'd had a, a lab that passed away. My dad bought another lab and said, here, you know, train this and bought me a book, uh, Hey Pup, Fetch It Up by Bill Tarrant. Hmm. And I would just, every day after school, I'd come home and read the book and then take the dog out and mess around with it. So I did that all through high school and um, got out of it a little while in college, of course. You know, it's hard to have a dog and compete, but.
0: uh, And date girls at the same time. Yeah, right, yeah. Other priorities (laughs) came in for a little while,
2: but. uh, Right after college, kind of got back into the dogs again and and then started competing and you know some hunt tests and stuff with with retrievers um at that time um I worked in washington d c for a little while but then moved to Vermont with the Rocky Mountain elk Foundation, so I hmm. um was into conservation um loved the elk Foundation, loved the Elk hunt and all that. My dream was to move to Montana, which I eventually did um and work for the elk Foundation there, but all the while kind of competing dogs, training retrievers. Um, and then finally, I got the opportunity to go do it for a living. So that was
0: so um, with with the Elk Foundation um, in Vermont and then in Montana. Were you doing regional rep position? Yeah, what, yeah. I was a field
2: director for them uh, in Vermont. I had uh, New York and all of New England, so it was you know a fairly big re- region. But as you know, there's probably not a lot of elk there. Yeah, that we, was going to be <laughs> what, what's the
0: what's the sales promise to sure. is somebody to join RMEF in Vermont?
2: Yeah, so. Um, as you know, there are um, hunters all over, you know, the country, and and the elk. Um, while we were working, when I was there, working on an elk reintroduction project in New York, and uh, I think that eventually came to fruition. But um, really, it was more about hunting, the hunting heritage, mm-hmm. um, getting people who who love the West, who love to elk hunt, to come raise money for elk and uh, other wildlife and habitat in the West. So.
0: And in Montana, did you? Were you the rep for the state of Montana?
2: So no, I switched and became the director of membership there. Oh really? So I was, okay, I was I didn't director know that. of membership and overseeing the uh, our um, conventions. Huh. So yeah.
0: I had no idea. You yeah. say so you, you have a lot of background yeah. on this yeah. type of things we do. every know, day. Yeah, I know a little bit. Yeah. A little, a little about a
2: lot of things, and not much. You know, not a lot about anything.
0: <laughs> so you're training dogs the whole while, um, and then how? How's the perina opportunity pop up
2: yeah you know as I had my own business and was training dogs I got to know Bob West um, who you guys know well and he was kind of my head contact with Purina and we became pretty good friends and we had discussed over different times about the idea of me doing some stuff working for him kind of being a a rep and representing Purina some which I did at a few events but my business was so it was so crazy busy traveling doing all that i really didn't have time to work for purina so i told bob at one point i said hey if you ever have something full time you know let me know but at this point i can't really do any part time stuff and i think about 10 years later he called me one day and he says well we've got a we got an opening are you interested and uh so i don't that's kind of what led to this and it's hard to switch and not train dogs but i became so fond of purina i realized how much the company did for um the sporting dogs for the the competitions you know um sponsoring all the different sporting events not just the retriever events i competed in but um i was really excited to try and help carry on that tradition
0: so, so tell us, I know, obviously, you work with our organization, Pheasants Forever and Quail mm-hmm. Forever, and there's a relationship, big relationship with Ducks Unlimited and yep. uh, Rough Grouse Society and some of the breed clubs. Kind of hit some high points for us. What what are the signature pieces that you work on day to day and how conservation fits into that mix?
2: Sure. So, um, you know, the root of, of the Sporting Dog Group originally was um, sponsoring events, field events, um, sporting dog events and so we still do about 300 um, maybe 500 sporting dog events per year that we will sponsor Um, any of the major national you know retriever bird dog coon hound beagle you know we'll sponsor those events Um, but the other side of it is um, conservation and the importance of good nutrition for sporting dogs and while I can't say that Purina you know supports hunting we support conservation, and we support the human-animal bond. And to the effect the that people hunt with their dogs, and habitat organizations such as um, Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever um, promote, um, you know, good nutrition for their dogs, good uh, um, education of hunters, conservation. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all in on that. That's so,
0: our. So just to clarify, it, it, while you don't put hunting. Uh, at the forefront you're also not anti-hunting absolutely order, right? That, so, that's right but well, there's so no the, stance yeah yeah right. it's, it's, it, your your focus on working with organizations like us is seeing the big picture a holistic view and looking at the habitat component and saying yep. this benefits something greater than just the bird
2: right habitat and and I think the other important thing that that is really important for Purina, one of our kind of uh core beliefs is that people and pets are better together i mean if you can look at any study and if you own dogs or cats you know you probably have you know they help reduce stress blood pressure i mean
0: pets just are good Anthony. for us yeah
1: <laughs> well we, you know we i think we mentioned either either one of the first two podcasts that you know pheasants forever's office is dog friendly so mm-hmm. this is all the ammo i need to like just kind of strike that into the uh, uh into the pheasants forever handbook in perpetuity for <laughs> all time till the end of days yes, stress
0: level <laughs> decreased
1: dogs in my office that's right 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 <laughs> so uh so that's one of
2: the founding beliefs and then um you know the fact fact that people need good nutrition for these sporting dogs and good health for the dog that's what we're all about too so we want dogs to be healthy happy um you know be able to Compete, be able to go hunting, and and carry on what they do.
0: So, so that's an obvious transition to you know what should we be feeding our dogs as we, you know, well, there's so many questions that come up with dog food, right? Like I, I'm thinking about it right now, coming into hunting season. Do I need to change what I'm doing with my dog? But let's start, uh, let's start from first stage as a puppy. A lot of folks get puppies, you know, April, May, June. What should they be feeding that bird dog puppy as a puppy?
2: Yeah. Well, you know, all the research sort of shows that puppies should have a, a formula specific to a growing puppy. If you look at AFCO, the American Association of Feed Control Officials, they will um, they have kind of standards. And if you look on the back of a bag, it should say that, you know, this product is formulated um, to meet the needs of a growing puppy you know and, and most of a lot of formulas will be all life stages so they're appropriate for puppies or adults um, there is no senior um, there's no formula approved by AFco for a senior dog it's really um, senior dogs vary so much but the important thing is something for a puppy that's designed for something that's growing so and as long as it says it's formulated to meet the needs of growing puppies that would be is there a,
0: a pro plan name that you would point people to as kind of the the obvious one to check out
2: yeah there's um there's a couple different puppy formulas there's a focus puppy and um i think a saver puppy and either one of those is appropriate you know i would say if it's a big dog um lab size or better um i think the large breed puppy is the way to go you know it's it's got the appropriate calcium phosphorus all that for a large breed dog so they don't grow too fast
0: So, the next stage when your dog reaches at, well, out of the puppy stage, which I'm assuming is nine months, six to nine months, somewhere there? Basically,
2: when they're done growing. So, if it's a. So, maybe you could be a a year old, you know, um, could be a little quicker, but I'd say nine months is a pretty good area. Can it be two? Because I have a two
1: year old that I still call a a puppy. (laughs) Can it be? Or is that not a puppy anymore? It's not. But, you know, (laughs) (laughs) actually, let me see. The answer is no. Okay. you know, I'll, I will say I'll, this. You can come over
2: and tell her that okay. today. <laughs> it, it doesn't hurt to feed it an adult dog puppy food either. If, uh, you know, there's no harm in that. Just uh, it's got a
1: few more well, calories and all that. So I I joke, but, you know, one thing that this is just, uh, since we're ta- kind of on, on this topic in the middle, is like, um, I didn't know that you were like really ever supposed to adjust like the intake, <laughs> you know, like the amount. I mean, what, I mean hey, you kind of laugh, but it's like, um, uh, my first dog, it's like, well, it was a year. And then at about a, at about a year and three months, I was like, looking a little bigger here. And it's like, oh, you, you got to, you might have to taper that back. I mean, you, you, some people listening might be well, like, oh, dog food, what's the big deal. But, um, you know, there's, we worry about our diets, right? right. I mean, think about how much, I mean, it's just as part of like the human lifestyle. I mean, <laughs> other than weather and food, or other than weather, what do we talk about? It's probably food. And like, so it's not, it's not just some mundane topic. I mean, you know, it's like, it's really important. So it's one of these things like, I, I, I know there might be some people that think like, well, what's the big deal, right. which I thought at that time, you know, it's just, you put it down, but it's like now here I sit seven years later and it's like, it's not all I think about, but yeah. <laughs> I think you th- you think about yeah. your dog's nutrition quite a bit. Yeah, I do. I mean, sure. I'll just say that. As a new dog owner, for sure. Because, yeah.
0: you know, trying to figure out what the right manual is for yourself and for that pup. Like, yeah. It
2: is. Well, you know, Anthony, you bring up a, a great point and kind of being a little more serious. You know, Purina did a lifespan study um, over 14 years of uh, uh, growing Labradors. So they started them as puppies and... This study showed that dogs that were fed to a lean body mass, if they're kept lean, they lived almost an ad- average of two years longer. So I think mm-hmm. it was 1.8 years longer keeping a dog lean than letting him free-, free feed and get heavy. What was it, 1 point? I think it's
1: 1.8. I mean, so like the human yeah. equivalent would be like, well, w- would you like to live another 12 years? Right, right, okay. yep. So, right, isn't that about it, or 12, 13? Yeah, I mean if, yeah. If we're using it's, kind of that standard seven-year, I mean— I don't know if that's totally accurate, but yeah, right? Isn't that what we're talking it's, about? Like, yeah. it's, it's I, big. I know I I know I'd like my dogs to live in you know <laughs> right. that yeah. aqu- that aqu- almost two years. That's right, and then and throw the additional thing
2: is the other dogs that that were heavier. Not only did they die quicker, um, they had you know higher rates of arthritis, um, you know joint disease, bone disease. So their lives weren't as good either. So it's kind of like uh, you know if any of us are you know carrying an extra 50 pounds it's hard on your body on your joints your blood sugar digest you know you name it so yeah. so you're right it is important yeah and that's, that's an excellent
1: comparison that's
2: the number one thing that uh most vets will tell you about 50 percent of the dogs in the u.s are overweight and um, is it really that much it is 50 percent of the dogs is are there overweight.
0: any difference in that stat for bird dogs or you think it's um you can project it out across no matter what discipline that dog is i
2: I would bet it's lower in bird dogs i think people that hunt with their dogs and and use their dogs and sporting dog events and that type of thing they they realize the importance of a nutrition and b keeping a dog lean to be able to run Uh, although this this
1: is like anecdotal but i you know i still hear some people some hunters that's what i'm saying is like well i like to have a little little extra meat on them for fall (laughs) like i don't i don't mind if they have a little extra thickness and it's like that's probably not needed it's kind of backwards yeah. yeah right Yeah, you know like sure. i think they For think sure. about it like well it's good from like it's cold up here and in, in the upper reaches right. of pheasant country like well it's going to be snowy and uh if they have a little extra fat meat on their bones it, it doesn't hurt them but well it's probably not helping them <laughs> right and it, and it it can
2: really get bad when uh you get some warm weather in in september early october and you go out there to pheasant hunt and it's you know 50 60 70 degrees and you're going to work that dog yeah. Uh, pretty hard running around hard he's carrying extra weight it's getting hot he's not drinking enough and next thing you know you've got an overheating dog so yeah i it's it's not good for them to be overweight for sure
0: it, so when you see someone and i know perina has these the the visual the infographics where you kind of look at the dog and you you know you kind of want to see the back ribs of a bird dog right i mean that absolutely that that yep. indicates a good weight that's right and it, it'll depend a little bit on which
2: breed whether how much you see like if an, an english pointer in good shape you'll see almost all their ribs you know um something with a little more hair like a golden well you're not going to see their ribs but you can feel them and, mm-hmm. and you should be able to feel the ribs you know they shouldn't be it shouldn't be hard to find the dents in between them you know um and you definitely should see some ribs you should see a tuck up in the belly um you know not uh the top line, the bottom line of the dog shouldn't match the top line. It should be a tuck up. And I think if you go to um, Purina.com or definitely PurinaProClub.com, um, there is a body condition score chart in there you can look at and kind of see what's recommended. Um, it has a view from the top and from the side of, of body scores.
0: Speaking of breeds, you, you happen to put um, my favorite breed, the German short air pointer, on the sport bag uh,
2: of it's for you it uh, was thank for you. you Thank yes. you. by
0: the way um, <laughs> is that <laughs> you like that is that um, the the dog food that most bird dogs should be eating once they're an adult the the purple bag with the short hair on it that's called pur- pro plan sport
2: sport so I would say it depends a little bit on the dog's metabolism how active they are how much they're used but in general if it's a hard-working dog it's active it's hunting a lot um, it's not overweight. I would say that's a great product. Um, the higher protein and fat helps endurance, um, lean body mass. So I think it's, it's a really good choice.
0: And to ask the, uh, the inflammatory question, how do you guys decide what breed to put on the bag? I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) That's the safe answer. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know they haven't
2: asked me that yet. Yeah, (laughs) so I, you know, they do change and they will talk about uh, what breeds and they'll. It's probably time to change. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. We need the cocker. A cocker formula. Well, (laughs) you know,
1: could field bred English cocker. I I won't complain about that. Spring, maybe a Springer. No, right. It's a legitimate question. Changing it. I mean, it's been a few years, right? It has been. It has been.
2: Back in the day, they used to, um, that was a big deal. There was different contests where people would submit mm-hmm. pictures and all kinds of stuff. I oh,
1: I needle Bob, but I I grew up with short hairs. All right. I like mm-hmm. I like short hairs. I don't know if I'll own one again someday, but uh, I, I have nothing against them. So I don't, you don't need to fill my inbox with, you know, you short hair people. Like <laughs> I shot, I Hate shot, <laughs> I shot my first, my first pheasants were over German short hairs. So there, yeah. so there, yeah how's that (laughs) hey mine were mine were over the labs so there yeah
2: yeah (laughs) so it's we've come full circle there you go i I actually gotta tell you one of the one of the biggest compliments anybody ever paid me was uh uh you know years ago when i was um working for the elk foundation a buddy of mine um i went i left to train dogs we used to hunt a lot together guy's name was least and he moved back to kentucky he got a German short hair and he named it Gunzer in my honor. Huh. And I thought that was about the coolest thing. So I kinda like short hairs. There you yeah. go. Yeah. It d-
0: yeah. Now you said <laughs> you you grew up with labs, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, what do you have today?
2: So still have a lab. Um, you know, we competed in field trials as a business and so um my wife still does some training, Cindy, and um but I kinda took another direction. I got involved with uh with border collies. So mm-hmm. I've always um One of my other little hobbies, passions, things in life is, is cows and, and livestock. We've got, um, Brangus cattle in Texas. We've got horses, also got sheep and all kinds of stuff. But, um, I, I got interested in, in competing in cattle dog competitions with a border collie. So I, I got a started dog, um, from a guy in Wyoming, um, uh, that's a long other story but great people <laughs> i don't have time for the whole deal but uh yeah juan is great and and uh got this border collie that was started from him got him down to texas and was going to compete in, in cow dog trials but there's very few cow dog trials in huh. texas so um i met some folks that competed in sheepdog trials i started kind of um going to some sheep dog events and training with some sheepdog people and really enjoy the sheepdog trials you know i can go to a trial every weekend so long story now um I have three border collies and compete them in in sheepdog trials. So,
0: and in your job, you work with all these groups, right? Correct. The sheepdogs, the bird dogs, the coon dog, the hounds. What's the, what's the thread that runs through no matter what some of these groups, whether it's the people that are associated or the, you know, what, what do you instantly think that connector
2: Um. It's amazing uh, the way dogs can change people's lives. It's the lifestyle thing. So how many people, and I know a lot of people listening, I know myself, like, um, you know, this dog that I had made me change my whole career from working for the Yacht Foundation to going, becoming a professional dog trainer to Hmm. now ending up at Purina. And I think, you know, I owe all that to a dog. You see that Hmm. time and time again. What was that dog's name? Grizz. Grizz. Grizz, Yeah you see that time and time again with in the dog world is that um people get so involved with dogs it changes their whole life and whether it's um you know border collies or or retrievers or german shorthairs you know um somebody goes and they become involved with Navda next thing you know they uh they've sold their place in uh in town they've bought a little acreage they're putting up a a recall pen with some quail, and, and, and their whole life, their whole world has changed because mm-hmm. of a dog, and uh, you see that in every uh, every discipline. You know, in the Border Collie deal, I, I was laughing because somebody goes to me, well, next thing you know, you're going to have a, a bunch of sheep and, and a ranch, and I say, well, I've got the property, but you're, you're right, I'll have sheep, you know, so um, I think it's that bond with the dog and the lifestyle, and then that, a lot of that's because of the friendships. You know, mm-hmm. if you think about who your best friends are, I'll bet you they are people that, you know, you hunt with or compete dogs with or... Hang out with so, um, you know, me, Carl. The magic of it. I wish
1: I would have met you twenty years ago. You want to know why? Because I I grew up on a farm. Right. We had sheep. Oh, I mean, really? My, my dad was. Uh, uh, I mean, he had a day job, but he 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 kind of got out of full time farming. But he was. Uh, he we still had livestock, and boy, I wish he would have had a dog instead <laughs> of me. I really I really wish he would have had a border collie. Because then then I think he would have bonded better with the border collie. Better than you? (laughs) And we just kind of butted heads because I didn't, you know, I I was a teenager and I didn't really want to be helping shear sheep or dock their tails. or Trim their feet, yeah. All that kind of stuff. So, I don't know, if we invent the time machine, I'll go back and get my dad a border collie. But, you know... how? I mean, just since we're on topic, I mean, where do border collies like? Aren't they really high up on like dog intelligence? I mean, yeah, like, crazy smart. So yeah. how how can yeah. we just get some of that into the bird dog side of things? <laughs> I, mean, I just feel like <laughs> coming from the cocker guy, folks. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, they. I don't even know how you to asked. Re- you yeah, right there. I, I asked. Yeah, can we get a border collie <laughs> cocker yeah. cross, and maybe that'll be the greatest the dog new of all thing time. yeah i don't yeah. know right but up there. i mean seriously right up there like, with the labradoodles well yeah, how, yeah. how maybe maybe a better question is just how do, how do they compare you know you because professionally a lot of it's around sporting dogs and i guess your sure. um border collies would be what are they considered like working dogs yeah. or yeah they're a herding dog herding Herd, dog yeah. but i mean just yep. what what are what are some of the comparisons and what are the differences i'm i'm just kind of genuinely sure. curious um So,
2: to me, the biggest difference is is the Border Collie has a higher uh, desire to please the owner, handler, whatever. So, their kind of DNA makeup is to go get that livestock and bring it to you. That's Mm -hmm. what they've been bred to do. So, it creates a very trainable dog, a dog that really has a really high desire to please you. Less independent thinking and working than, say, a German Shorthair, particularly, which is bred... To work with you, but also to be independent. I mean, okay. you don't want to – what's the point in having a, a, a good uh, pointing dog if it's going to walk next to you?
1: Hmm. It
2: kind of defeats the purpose. So you got to breed that independence, that run, that hunt into the dog. And if they don't want to do it for themselves, if they just want to do it for you, you don't have really a dog okay. that's going to help you hunt. Where with the Border Collies, they're really bred to do it for you. You know, And the young dogs you can see, they're – you know, it should be. Their desire should be to go gather and bring it to you, you know. And so uh, I, I think that's a big thing, and that makes them more trainable because of that high desire to please.
0: So it, it, can you can you generalize, like, breed intelligence, um, or is it more individual, or, or is it more based upon what you're going to use it for, use that dog for, what their duty in life is going to be? You know, there's
2: been a lot – you know, you could probably Google, like, breed intelligent rankings and find him. And I've seen him, and I can't remember. I don't think Border Collie was one. I think it was two. But um, so there's there's certainly individual differences in the breeds, too. You know, as just, like, between us, I think, you know, Anthony's probably, like, you know, Mensa Brilliant, yeah, he, and then there's clearly, you right? and me. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> no uh, – my, <laughs> my dogs will be off to Oxford this fall. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, – I I think um, I think a lot of it depends on what they're they're bred for. You know, similarly, hounds um, are not bred to be; they're not bred for intelligence. You know, hmm. certainly there's more intelligent ones and less intelligent ones. But you know, your hounds, your bird dogs, and all that are are you know yeah.
1: not quite the same. Well, you know? I, I think I saw at some point like I don't know that. that Maybe it was Goldens or maybe it was Border Collies that they, they, they knew they ended up learning like two hundred words. Mm. And I was like, Well, my dogs know sit, stay, come, and probably hundred and ninety seven versions of rooster. <laughs> you know, just how <laughs> however it sounds when I say it coming out. That's it. We know four. We how know many, four. Uh, how many swear
0: words do your dogs know?
1: Probably probably one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They know they know a few in mean, household. Yeah. Yeah. Prob- yeah. Probably one, I think. Yeah. yeah. So the so I guess we know five words. <laughs> <Yeah>. right. <laughs> right. If they listened to hear and sit, you'd be happy, right? I, yeah, I would much. be. Yeah. I would be, yeah. yeah. Does that's, that's the one that's uh, – well, calm is the one that's not negotiable yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Which sometimes, if that one – if they do try to negotiate it, that's where that other word we're talking about <laughs> comes out. <laughs> Anyways.
0: Yeah. All right. So we're – we're we're sitting here towards the end of August. Uh, folks are really feeling the season coming on, right? That you know we got we got some different seasons starting September one. You know we got sharpies in Montana and doves and rough grouse will happen early shortly duck. after that. Early yep. duck, you know, and then uh, then then you know roosters in mid October. or Some places even a little bit earlier than that. What do we as dog owners need to be doing right now to polish our pups, um, before we get to the hunting season? Because once you release the hound out of that kennel on opening day, (laughs) it's too late. Yeah. Right. What do we need to be thinking about right now?
2: So, um, definitely thinking about conditioning. I mean, it's important, but it's tough, you know, like in Texas right now where it's 102 today, it's really hard to, to get any serious conditioning done, but you can, I mean, you can still exercise the dog. Make sure not to overheat them. But so um, the other thing to look at is diet. And, you know, there sort of used to be this mis- misperception that, you know, in the summertime you switch to a low-protein, low-fat diet and mm-hmm. then switch them right before hunting season. Well, really, their diet should change at least a couple months before you're going to start hmm. working them. It's kind of, I explained to somebody the other day that it's the equivalent of saying, well, because I ate a steak last night, I'm now on a keto diet. You know what I mean? Sure. You, it doesn't happen overnight. You can't eat one steak and be on a keto diet. You have to, you know, be eating protein and fat for a while before your body readjusts to learn how to metabolize that to the best, um, the best for the dog. So it's the <laughs> you know, it's the
1: best I, l- say. I like that. Like, yeah, I mean – Oh, I'm on the Buffalo Wild Wings diet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Day <laughs> right, one, I mean, right? Here we go. Mm-hmm.
0: So, so are, are you yeah. boosting protein specifically as you think about hunting season? Yeah. And, and fat, really. And fat. It's, it's really, so what's the ratio? So fat's the
2: primary. Um, fat is what they burn best for energy. Okay. Um, protein is really more about building muscle than it is endurance. You know, mm-hmm. people think about what's the fuel in the tank. And to me, um, the fuel in the tank to, is fat. That's what they burn the best. They also burn carbohydrates. Well, you know, you hear a lot of things these days about, um, you know, uh, carbohydrates are bad, grains are bad, all this stuff. Well, um, you know, I've had people say, well, you know, they ought to just eat meat, right? And mm-hmm. I, The raw diet. Yeah, the raw diets. And, and my point is, I, I hate to tell you, but your, your Bichon Frise is not a wolf. You know, they have uh, they have genetically adapted, <laughs> right. D- did you modified. Sh- change languages on it? <laughs> yeah. What yeah. was that? Your Bichon. Yeah, your, uh, your little foo-foo dog. Okay.
0: Right? I'm um, not familiar with that breed. Oh, really? All right. Yeah. They're not in the bird dog parade. No <laughs> that, Bichons. I've never yeah. had geez, to pronounce that Bob, open a Cosmo yeah. once in a while.
2: Gosh. <laughs> 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 so, um, so dogs aren't wolves anymore. You mm. know, they've adapted. They do burn carbohydrates um, effectively. But fat is the best thing for endurance for the dog. Yeah. Um, so most of the uh, most of the performance diets are 30 percent protein, 20 percent fat. Um, they don't have to be that. I mean, so 30 percent
0: so protein, 20 well, percent, um, fat.
2: 20 percent fat. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, but it doesn't have to be that high. If you have a dog that has a slower metabolism, is a really easy keeper. You know, maybe something like a 26, 16 is appropriate. Hmm. Or if you're a guy that you know you duck hunt every other weekend in the season for two hours. Um, yes, you have a sporting dog, but, you know, it's not like somebody that's taking their right. their dog out and beating the brush for pheasants for eight hours. At, you know
0: that, that dog's not training for a marathon. That's right, right? that's right. They do so, the weekend job. Yeah,
2: so they don't need maybe as high a nutrition. So mm-hmm. I think it's really important to look at the individual dog.
0: It, one thing that I always think about, and it was a learning process for me, is when to feed a dog during hunting season, like during mm-hmm. a hunt. Sure. And, you know, a lot of folks... It naturally think, well, i give my pup a really big meal in the morning. Right. And that's the absolute worst possible thing. It might kill your dog to do that, uh, right? That's exactly like right. This is, exactly right. folks listening, this is the single most important part of this conversation, like, to save your dog. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. When should you feed your dog before, yeah. or so, during a hunt?
2: So, well, so during a hunt, here's kind of two takeaways of that. First is you want to feed them as far ahead of work The next day as possible but you need to give them time to cool down so let's say um, we're hunting until five today and we stop that dog needs at least an hour to cool down um, catch their breath have their metabolism heart rate everything settle down and then feed them they ideally i would feed once a day in the evening the day before the hunt and the reasons are kind of simple so digestion takes you know usually 16 to 18 hours to go through the digestive tract Food in the dog 's stomach, which if you 're inside of six or eight hours there's there 's still food in the dog 's stomach mm-hmm. that food isn't available that that's still being churned and digested and mixed up and all that that's not in the muscle for protein for you know uh, to boost the dog it's going to take you know more like twenty four hours before the food that 's in the dog 's stomach is available to be burned as fuel, so it, it does no good to have food in the gut in the You know, digestive system to fuel the dog, right? Right. So, um, you know, the sled dog racers they try and feed at least twenty-four hours before the dog runs, so everything's out of the entire. uh, So now, talk about
0: the dangerous portion of feeding your dog that, and that food isn't digested yet. Right.
2: Well, so when your dog starts running, it needs blood flow to go to the muscles, you know, to to make the perform to perform. Yeah, to run. What's happening is blood flow is going to the gut. It's kind of sharing. It's getting hot. That food sits there in the gut. No longer is it properly digesting. Um, you know, it can then lead to um, bloat or torsion. It's sitting there, kind of half digested, fermented. You know, mushing around the stomach. The dog's drinking a lot. They're getting hot. So just. It's not a good thing to have. Yeah, so,
0: so the way I've always envisioned it, and you can tell me if this is right, so if you think about, like, a swing set on a horizontal plane, and that swing is the food in the gut, right? And mm-hmm. if that dog's running, it's the swing's going back and forth, and it, it has the possibility for the swing to go over the bar and flip, right. a la a twisted stomach, and that's where torsion, bloat, twisted stomach, yep. all comes into play, right. and if that happens... You only have a matter of hours, minutes, maybe, yeah, 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 maybe an hour. That's right. So if you if you're thinking about that weight of that food in that dog's stomach, that's not what you want. You just think about yourself playing basketball with a full stomach, right? You like doing that?
1: No, yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because I can't dunk. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm weighted, but I I'll just say like I I follow this, you know. I don't I don't Mm. feed my dog. I I feed them the evening, you yep. know, we're typically on a trip, right? So, um, you know, we get done hunting, they eat, and then I don't feed them the next morning. And I guess what I, where I'm getting this, uh, getting at with myself as an example is I think a lot of people, they, they, they get away with it and nothing <laughs> happens and they still <laughs> think, well, they just file it into that, like kind of correlation causation type relationship. Well, it's like, oh, my dog's fine. It can't happen to them. It's like, well... Right. It's, it's the type of, it's the type of, it's kind of like drunk driving. Yeah. You can get, (laughs) it. some people get away with it 300 times. Eventually it'll catch up with you and it might not be with this dog you have Yep. and it might not be with your next dog, but at some point in your lifetime, if you keep kind of playing with that fire and, and what, and what's the point? Right. Right. I mean, what are you doing? Why? Yeah. And the the thing is, 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 is I guess, you know, going back to like, um, the energy thing is like, it's not getting burned up anyways, but there are some products like there are some energy type products where uh if i I don't know, you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, but if 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 you feel like your dog I maybe you are on a lengthy hunting trip and it needs and sure. and they're gonna be working extra hard and they need a little extra energy boost, there are some yeah. products that what are they digested quicker? Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, I think so. Um you know like energy bars like we think of, right? right I mean right. There's not I don't know of anything on the market that's um
2: really, I, I can't speak to anything that I could recommend, but I can say that if it's a dog, so some dogs need, if, if it's a guides dog and it's hunting, you know, a lot every day, all season, it's cold, it's burning a ton of calories, that dog may need so much food that it's a little scary to feed it in one meal. So I can tell you, this is just a, a kind of a personal philosophy this isn't a Purina thing but um, you know when I trained labs if I had a male that was kind of growing he was eating a lot it was hard to keep weight on I didn't like to feed a dog more than like five cups in one feeding you know yeah. what I mean it seems like all of a sudden you know I worry about bloat that way too you're feeding so much food yeah. that uh, you know you don't want to put that much food in him at one time so those dogs I would switch to it twice a day I'd probably do like four cups in the evening and then two in the morning but that two in the morning would be at like 6 a.m., and I would work that dog last, which would mean, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning by the time I've, you know, kind of finished doing my first, um, you know, setup or whatever. I was doing that. So day. the point is, so is I was it still out as giving them, possible. I was still trying not to have them work with a full stomach, and it was a smaller load on that stomach. Mm. Um, so if anybody really feels like, man, my dog just, you know, he, he needs, he depends on that morning feeding. Um, just do a smaller amount and make sure you, you give, you know, at least two hours before you run the dog. And I, I think four would be a lot better. Get some of that food digested and into the, into you know, the small intestine and not just sitting there in the stomach.
0: What about um, hydration? How much, um, how much water should a dog be taken in during a hunt?
2: Yeah, and that's, you know, we just went through a presentation the other day and uh, the kind of the joke was people were worrying about the amount of calories and and people said, or the vet said, you know, worry more about hydration. That's really a lot more important. Um, How quickly, um, you know, they, they go through a lot of water through their panting, um, running, um, all their muscles processing. So I think that's really the more important thing sometimes than food is keeping them hydrated throughout the day and they can dehydrate so quickly in a, in a day a dog can lose you know, five percent. I think after five percent loss of water, you you are dehydrated, and you get to ten percent, and it can almost be um, fatal at that point. So,
0: and I had a conver- really important conversation with Bob West once about how important it was, you know, really to carry that squeeze bottle in mm-hmm. the field with you and keep. The dog's tongue clean, right? So, because yep. that's where they um, release the heat is off the tongue. So, just having the water, e- even if they're not drinking it, yep. just keeping the mucus, yep. for lack of a better term, right, off of that tongue so they can um, cool down. E-
2: exactly right. The tongue in the back of that throat, it's like their radiator. It's yep. like, uh, you know, you're driving along and your radiator starts getting plugged with grass or whatever. I mean, it's really important just to clean that stuff off so they can help regulate their temperature Um, and once a dog is dehydrated it's a lot harder to get the water back in them than it is to keep them hydrated
1: so So i think that's important like i'm going to i'm going to do a north dakota sharptail hunt a couple couple times in september typically hot Mm -hmm. uh warmish i'd say at least during the parts of the day when we hunt and you know that's always a concern of mine so i guess like uh, a question for me would be Okay, I squirt some, squirt some extra on their tongue, get it on the radiator, but h- how else do you just you just mix a little more in their food and that's the way to get it in them? Because you you I think a lot of us have this feeling, like, well, my dog just isn't drinking enough on its own. You so. don't
0: carry a jar of Jiffy peanut butter with you and put it on the <laughs> nozzle, the... Uh, the uh, water bottle. Well, you might.
1: <laughs> Maybe it's that's a, how you it's train a, it's them. It's a good. Right? It's a good trick, you know. For those of you who you know have have youngsters or puppies, that's a, a great way to get them to drink out of a drink out of a, like a a squirt bottle. Boring, yeah, I right. have uh, you know kind of those banana boat cups. You know right, that you, right. the yep. kind of water uh, uh, the water bottle uh, the the cap comes off and it's shaped that they can drink out of that and. Obviously, you know if you're if you're out hunting by a lake or you got some you know a clean water source, right. that's an option too. But um, in in my younger one, like it's just not a big deal. She's, um, I I mean she loves she loves drinking water. She loves swimming in it. I'm waiting for her to like get the Kevin Costner Waterworld type gills behind. <laughs> she's I mean she's just. But my older one is just like yep. she's like you know um, kind of.
0: I got business to do. Yeah,
1: that. she she yeah. kind of gets a want. She's you know how we were talking about that independence. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. wants to go and hunt and yep. and everything else just shuts off and it's just birds, 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 birds. And I I sometimes worry like you're not drinking enough water. So yeah. what you got a yeah. you got a tip for yeah, me? Yeah, a couple things.
2: You you're right on about with the food. So um, you know, people try to decide whether they should feed wet or dry and everything else. I I would say, you know, I usually feed wet. Um. Some people think that the food doesn't clean their teeth as well if you do that. But if you see how quickly my dogs eat, um, that kibble (laughs) is not getting soft in there. Um, so it does add to hydration. I do think no matter what your thoughts, when you're hunting, it's really important to feed wet. Just that extra water with the digestion going down the food makes a big deal. Um, anytime you come out of the field when they're not as, you know, in prey chase mode, go back in that crate, you know, have water for them there. And, um, You know, a little low-sodium chicken broth, something like that, you can bait that water with. So just put a little bit in a bowl and and add a couple little crumbles of some chicken broth. Or, um, you know, you can do it with a couple kibbles of food, too. But I think uh, uh, make sure to do the low-sodium, but a little bit of chicken broth in there. Um, And then the most important time, the time that dogs will typically drink the most is about two hours after they're fed in the evening. So, you know, it's really important when you're hunting to do what, you know, all the old retriever pros called the amateur airing, is that 9 o'clock airing at night. You know, you fed them at 6 o'clock, and, you know, you want to go to bed and recover for the next day, but take them out there and and make sure they get water at, you know, 8 or 9 o'clock in the evening because that's when they'll typically drink the most, a couple hours after they've eaten. Um, They're kind of just, they don't have birds on their mind at 9 o'clock at night usually. They're on the chicken broth. Okay. <laughs> right, right. So to me, that's the best time to get water. All right. right. Those are
1: great.
0: So my my eldest is uh, 11 years old, mm-hmm. right? Starting mm-hmm. to show age, yep. you know, grain in the muzzle, starting to, you know, you see the ridge on the top of her head, yeah. right? So the jaw is weakening a little bit, and she, she's looking like an 11-year-old pup. Right. And you guys have, um, you know, I, I've obviously fed the, the short hair version bag, but, you know, you guys do, <laughs> do make the uh, the bright mind, the yep. yellow bag, which might have a golden on it. I can't remember, but it's a yellow bag. Yep. Um, w- tell me about that transition and should I be making it or w- what's the. Yeah, sure. What's the bright mind sure. advantage?
2: So there's there's two things about it. One, um, the biggest thing is um, the MCT. um oils it's medium chain triglycerides and you know it's in coconut oil and some different flax seeds and stuff but it's it is um it is easily digested by older dogs brains so it helps get glucose in the brain um a dog's glucose metabolism changes as time goes on and as they get older they need more for their brain so that kind of is is a brain fuel Hmm. um also, in the bright minds, the other thing is it's reduced fat, so dogs are less active. They don't need as much energy fat, but uh, it maintains the high protein, which helps for lean muscle mass and keeping them fit. So, it's a great product. You don't want to switch to it too early if your dog is still really active. I mean, if you're still, you know, if you've got that nine or ten year old dog that you're hunting all the time. Um, It's probably in good shape. It doesn't need that. But as they get older, 11 years old, their metabolism is slowing down. Um, I think it's a great time to switch to a senior-type food like Bright Minds.
0: So, and I keep seeing people come up the stairs and look because our clay shoot is, uh, you know, a little bit uh, half hour away and people right. are checking in. So, um, I, I'm inclined to move to some lightning round questions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we'll see how they go because, you yeah, know, we, we did lightning round with... Um, I'll do Tom the sound effect. And <laughs> <laughs> Tom and Tina Dockin, and, and they were some of the more interesting ones, and they don't always go super fast. But, right. uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to put you on the spot with some quick twitch All right. reactions. All right, Knee jerks? Need some knee jerks. Uh, you know, Purina is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're a duck hunter, the breed of dog you would suggest getting for duck hunting would be?
2: Labrador Retriever.
0: Okay. Official dog food of the Rough Grouse Society. If you're gonna pick a bird dog breed to go chase the Northwoods uh, grouse and woodcock migration, the the breed you would select would be
2: English Setter. Okay.
0: Quail Forever, the official dog food sponsor is Purina Pro Plan. If you're gonna go uh, to your home state of Texas yep. and chase up a covey, of, or maybe thirty coveys of quail. Yep. The, the bird dog breed. That's,
2: that's a layup. That's the English pointer. Okay. Yeah, Absolutely.
0: And for the money ball, <laughs> the official dog food sponsor of Pheasants Forever. And this is a tough one. What is, it, what is the, the bird dog breed you would go and point to for pheasant hunting?
2: I'm sitting here between <laughs> Bob St Pierre and Anthony Hawk, but I have to go with the German short here oh wow, I really do yeah. that, that's a little bit yep. of a wild card no i uh, I think um, they're they're awesome they're great uh just fun to hunt over
0: for for pheasants so i I don't disagree with you mm-hmm. um i because I, obviously I've done it a number of yep. different times i um I think it uh I, in our surveys, it is the second most popular dog in the in the um, Pheasants Forever world. Do you, right. What do you think is the number one? Labrador. Yeah. 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 You've seen those same surveys. Well, I just it's, it's an
2: easy guess when you look at the numbers nationwide,
1: right. you know. But uh, I'm just um, sitting over here brooding. Yeah. <laughs> All fine. right, a couple Stop more pouting. lightning round <laughs> questions <laughs> for you. Uh,
0: we asked we asked Tom Dockin, who's a a, a member of uh, your team as well. Mm-hmm. Can a bird dog tell the difference between a rooster and a hen what's your take
2: Ooh, i'll say no
0: yeah okay. that's what tom said yeah. too good <laughs> that makes me feel a little better i know you guys talk i know you did <laughs> he gave me all the answers yeah uh, any final questions before we go on an easter egg hunt anthony
1: <sighs> no i'm i'm re- i'm ready i'm ready to dig into these and this it's, it's it's kind of a mere extension of the lightning round. Yeah, just it is. It is. They, like, they just tend to be a little more philosophical. I, I,
0: yeah. I'm a I'm I'm a person that loves these just quick twitch. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. so they're fun. You know, pull out the personality. So what we've got here is uh, oh about. Uh, seven or eight Easter eggs, it's the traditional Easter eggs you would find on Easter morning when you're a 10-year-old. Why don't we
1: call them pheasant eggs? Uh, <laughs> we
0: have we, could, have somebody said, oh, you're going to do rooster eggs. I'm like, don't you know roosters don't lay eggs? Yeah. Oh, that was Jake. <laughs> <laughs> come on, man. Or, or quail DJ, eggs. Well, <laughs> we'll come up with something better. But inside each of those eggs is a uh, random question, and you have selected the purple, which is appropriate for Vikings country. Um, and Purina Pro Plan, I'd have to there say. There you go.
1: Pro Plan Sports. If I picked pick the pink egg, I'd be, you know. Well, while well, he's opening that, I'll give yeah. my Vikings prediction for all the games I won't watch this year. <laughs> eight and eight. There we go. Eight. Wow. And the question
0: Carl has selected is Uh oh. You may read it. uh it?
2: Tell us the story of your favorite bird dog's name.
0: Well, there you go. How do you, That's wow. like completely wow. appropriate for you. So, if I'm recalling correctly, the dog that changed your life, you said, was his named Gris. Grizz. Yep,
2: Yeah. So, uh, the story, the, the, the way he got his name, um, I'm trying to think of dates now, but uh, I got him shortly after I moved to Missoula. And uh, anybody that's kind of a football fan knows the, the Montana Grizzlies,
1: mm. uh, the Grizz. Oh, you were talking like dates like. Time, yeah, year, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I was, like I was trying to. Think, oh, here's of another year love that, like, story <laughs> Carl Gunzer. All right, all right. <laughs> trying to think
2: of the year like they, they won the division or whatever. But the the, the the Grizzlies were good, and um, uh, I got this little
1: puppy, and uh, I just named him Grizz. So that's a good name. I'm I'm a huge huge fan of one syllable dog names. Yeah, yeah. And if you do, uh. Again, personal preference. If if they are longer than that, if you can shorten them, like like Bob here, I, mean, I have
0: two syllable dog names. Yeah, Anthony. And I don't get along. No, <laughs> no. But I'm saying like so
1: like the el- the Bob's um, older dog they were talking about Trammel. He the yeah. the call name is just Tram, mm. which that's right. Like if if it's it's a longer name, it can be shortened up. I I think that's what I like. But yeah, to each their own. They're so like, rubble well,
2: skin doesn't go for you. Yeah. yeah what? All well, right.
1: okay. What are your you got? You got the three, and then just jump into your your current um, uh, current oh, crop. Yeah, yeah. you got um, the three border collies, and yeah. then the one one left. Yeah. So you got four dogs. Yeah. What are their names now? Clark,
2: Fritz, um, Katie, and Annie. So the girls, the girl, the girls are sort of too syllabic. I guess. So wh- <laughs> so okay, this
1: is uh, where do you stand on like? Because again, I have. Um, I have some very strong opinions (laughs) on, on human names for dogs. I just, but I'm not going to share those. Right. Some human names, some human names work, some don't, but where you obviously like them. Uh yeah, I would say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> do you feel do you feel a little awkward ask. saying yeah. yes right now? No, <laughs> I feel awkward. Are well, you, Carl? No, it's fine cuz who's to say his who's to say his wife didn't name
2: him. <laughs> Actually, yeah, so my wife did name uh Annie and
1: uh Katie. See, so. I could feel that. I could feel that. <laughs>
0: yeah. uh, I will yeah. have to agree. Yeah. I I have hunted with a mm. dog named Bob mm-hmm. twice. I don't Mm -hmm. ever want to do that again because I get yelled at in the field the entire time. Bob! Bob, what? (laughs) What do you want?
1: Well, I will say this, though. Since we're talking about dog names, like – like, kudos to the people that are creative and come up with them. You know, mm-hmm. like, I like Grizz, mm-hmm. I, you know, especially mm-hmm. if it's got some meaning behind it. I know, like, some of Bob's stories. Like, my, my dad, he kills me. He, like, he's on his third ace, <laughs> you know? Like, I had an ace when he yeah. was a kid. And he's right. not a poker right. player. Yeah, really. they had another one when he was a teenager, and then he's got a yeah. current lab. It's like, yeah. He, yeah. you know, like, he's got as many dog names as, <laughs> like, you know, my, like, terms my dogs know we're up to five or six so anyways yeah. there you have it so.
0: well you, you can hear the ambient noise the crowd, the crowd is arriving yeah. for uh yeah. pheasants forever and quail forever's clays for conservation carl you've made the trip all the way from texas thank you very much for for joining today but also for everything that perina has done uh, historically and is continues to do for pheasants forever and quail forever's habitat mission it uh, folks listening it is the official dog food of our organization the habitat organization and has been like that for decades so thank you for uh for being part of the podcast and for making this trip
2: well it's a lot of fun we really um, value the partnership and enjoy not only is it fun to come hang out with you guys and do stuff with you but uh it's really important too for our organization and and we're really glad to support you guys.
0: Do you have any predictions on how many out of fifty you're going to hit today?
1: Uh, no. Okay.
0: <laughs> Neither do I. <laughs> well, we'll we'll have to have
1: Carl back because he dropped some serious knowledge today. Which, uh, you know, you, you got you, you, the longer you own dogs, just mm-hmm. the more questions you have. So we'll have to have him back sometime. I, I, no I doubt definitely about appreciate it. it. Some definitely yep. definitely some good stuff, and I hope uh, those hunters listening just. Apply some of that right away this season. Don't feed your dogs in the morning. Yeah. There you get go.
0: out there and get those pups in shape. Hunting season will be here before you know it. Thank you very much for listening to this uh, podcast of On the Wing. We'll see you down the two track.